Well, we are in our third and final week of our series on the book of Jonah, and uh, we are, are going to wrap that up today. And today we're going to find that the story takes kind of a weird twist as we read through it. Uh, the first two weeks we talked primarily about running from God, and hence the title Runner, and hence the, uh, the tennis shoes up here. Um, but uh, w- we've been talking about how at one point or another, either holistically or at least in part of our life, we all run from God. And, and it's a predictable pattern whenever people run from God. Some things just always happen. Last week we talked about God's perspective on the people that are running from him. And, and as we looked at that, we gained some insights from Jonah. And one of the best may have been that no matter how long you run from God or how far you feel like you have run from God, that God is he's right there. And he's wanting to use those things in your life that are not turning out the way you thought they would. Things like um, your marriage unraveling, your job being unfulfilling, where you thought you would have success, you're failing, and, and where things may be okay in one part of your life, another part of your life, it's just, it's just a mess. That God can use all of those things to bring you back. Not to get you back, but to bring you back. And the big part of that is that God still has a plan, and God still has a purpose for you and for your life. He has you exactly where he wants you at that point because you come to the realization, like Jonah, that God has a plan. And that's where we left Jonah last week. Jonah was thrown up, literally, on dry land uh, from the fish that he was swallowed by. And God says, I want you to go to Nineveh because I still have a plan for you. I still have a purpose for you. And so we pick up the story at that point this morning. So grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. Uh, If you've been here the last couple weeks, maybe it's getting a little easier for you to find. Um, If this is your first week, well, good luck. Uh, That's what I've been telling everybody. Good luck in finding it. If you get to the New Testament, you've gone too far. Uh, If you see Jeremiah, Ezekiel, not far enough. It's just a four-chapter, little bitty book in there. So good luck finding that. If you want to cheat and grab one of those blue Bibles, it's on page 655. And as I told you last week, if you want to put forth no effort whatsoever... It'll be on the screen behind me, and you can follow along. You can also grab your bulletin and fill in a few blanks, or those will be filled in on the screen, too. And again, you have to do absolutely nothing. So um, as you're getting there and as we're getting this kicked off, I want to make a disclaimer. Um, If you're here today, and you're not a Christian, you're not a religious person, you're not a churchgoer, whatever you want to call it, maybe you came in for family Thanksgiving, and then you were drugged here this morning. If that's the case for you, um, I've got to tell you that that you're probably going to like today's message, because this message is a little embarrassing for those of us who call ourselves Christians. And, and the reason it is because if you aren't sure about this whole church thing, well, today you're going to have one of your suspicions confirmed, because you will see that one of the things that you probably never liked really about church was the statement, well, it's just full of hypocrites. And if you've thought that, today, by the time we're done, you're going to have proof that it's full of hypocrites. And so you're probably going to like this, because in the verses we're going to look at today, the text just kind of peels back those, those layers of our heart and reveals some things about those of us who claim to follow Christ that we don't like to talk about and we don't like to think about. We don't like to examine as believers. Because if I'm honest with myself and if I'm transparent with you, there's, there's a little bit of Jonah in me. And there's probably a little bit of Jonah in you as well. Uh, So let's take a look at the story. Let's see what God has to tell us. We begin in chapter 3, verse 1, and it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, just a little bit of backstory to catch those of you up who maybe haven't been here. Nineveh is the enemy of Israel. They're on opposite sides. They, they fight. It's, it's just not a good thing. Nineveh is known to be fierce. I mean, they have fierce warriors. They kill people in ways that you couldn't even dream were possible. They're ruthless. On top of that, they have this ruthless king. And uh, he, he was just, just really, really bad. And, and God tells Jonah to go tell these people and deliver a message from him. And so Jonah is on his way. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go all through it. At this point, um, they estimated that the city was about 120,000 people from historical documents and and something we'll read here a little later uh, in this text. Verse 4, Jonah started into the city going a day's journey and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, Can you just picture Jonah walking through the city with maybe his sandwich board on saying, the end is near, right? Have you you seen those people like Homer there, right? The end is near. Now, how do you think they reacted to that message? Well, probably the same way we react when we see somebody like that, right? Like, yeah, thanks, right? I mean, that's kind of what we would expect. But something strange happens. Look at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. And what we read from the next several verses, what we find out is that he said that everyone should fast, and everyone should pray to God, and ask God not to judge the city, not to destroy the city. Now, I have to believe that Jonah at this point was shocked because it worked. I mean, here's a Jewish guy. Jonah, as a Jewish guy, walks in and tells their enemy about a God who they don't even worship. And he says, not only am I here to talk about God, I'm talking about God who's going to judge you, who's going to destroy you. And they listen to him. Even the king has now taken off his royal robes and is repenting. It's unbelievable. But as unbelieving as that sounds, that something like that could actually happen, it it helps if we go to the history and learn a little bit more about what was going on in the region at this time. During this time, there was a total solar eclipse. That's one of the things that had happened. And we know from history that that happened. And a solar eclipse, especially in that day and age, was seen as a bad omen. And if you were bad or ruthless, as they were known to be, it was seen as something bad was coming down the pike your way, and you better get ready for it. And everybody knew that that had happened. The second thing was, there was a united enemy. Uh, uh, To the north of them, about 100 miles, two or three tribes had come together, and they were making their way south. And as they made their way south through the towns and the villages, they weren't killing everybody like the Ninevites. They were going to them and saying, look, we're headed to Nineveh, we're going to take them on join us. And everybody had been treated really poorly by the nation of Nineveh, so they were like, okay. So this, this band of marauders, they were coming in, and they were getting ready to wage war, and, and they knew that they were, they were headed their way. The third thing was, some severe plagues had happened. Two times in the past five years, there was a severe plague that killed thousands and thousands of people. And so they had experienced these things, they knew these things, and by the time Jonah showed up, God had their attention. They'd been waiting for something because they had been reading all the signs. And so here comes this prophet. And he's probably bone white at this point because of the stomach acid of the fish, right? And he's probably still has seaweed in his hair. Remember, I talked about that back in chapter 2. So he's got the seaweed in his hair. He, he probably looks 
looks pretty freaky at this point, and he's walking around going, the end is near, right? And so they were going, wow, this, this may be it. And from that, I think we learn a very valuable lesson. In that, I think that if the book were to end right here, I know I could walk away from the story of Jonah and feel pretty good about myself. Because it ends really well if it were to end right there. But we see God doing some amazing things. And what we see is that God is working behind the scenes. God is always working behind the scenes. God is working in people's hearts and in people's minds to prepare them for the message. And there are people that, that you know and that I know and we think, uh, we think that we could never talk to them about God. We could never invite them to church. We could never invite them to our small group or invite them to a church function. We certainly don't want them to ever find out that we pray because they've got it all figured out. Their life is going just fine. They're happy and content. They're even a little anti-religious. And we just want to kind of leave them alone because they're not interested in hearing it. But the truth is, and we see it time and time again, that God is oftentimes working behind the scenes to soften someone's heart, to be open for the message. And that when you and I get that prompting and we get that, that sense that we need to share with him or her and talk about God or, or do any of those things, that God has probably more than likely been working in the background, preparing them. And he's simply calling us in like Mariana Rivera is called in in the ninth inning to just close the deal, to save it, to, to finish it, to, to let them experience Christ. But there's something in us, we don't want to see that. We don't want to do that. And what we learn from Jonah is that God, even in our lives and in the people whose lives that we come in contact with, that God is working behind the scenes. It may be true for your life. There may have been a time in your life when you weren't interested. You weren't interested in, in God's message or what he had to say to you, but through what God had told you or through circumstances or through a friend or through someone, he prepared you so that when that person came along, you were receptive to the message. That's what happened to a friend of mine by the name of Rob. He was, a, he was the guy that every guy wanted to be. He was handsome, a lovely wife, two kids, house, a car, a boat, a pool, you know, the dog, just the, the whole thing. And, and through a, a series of conversations and over a period of time, he heard about, because it was shared with him, the message of Christ. And he opened up his heart and he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. And his statement back was that he always knew that he wanted to tell someone thank you. He just didn't know who it was. And it was God. And he became a believer. He became a follower. God was working behind the scenes in his life through what everyone looked at and thought was perfect. God was working in ways we never saw. And he was preparing him for that moment, for that time. And it took someone being willing to, to share that message with him. We need to understand that we're not the only player in the story Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The point of that is we cannot forget that we're not the only person, that God has been doing things and he's been working behind the scenes. Again, it would be great if the story for Jonah ended here, but it doesn't. It takes this weird twist that really starts to shed some light on my heart and maybe on your heart as well. Look at verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. So God shows compassion. That's what we see first. The word used here for compassion means he relented or he changed his mind. He backed off of what he said he was going to do. God shows compassion. And it did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. To which 
if we're honest, we'd step back and say, good job, Jonah. That's cool. Mission accomplished. You did it right. But look at chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Wait a minute. Jonah became, becomes angry. Jonah, you're the hero. Did you forget that? You've done exactly what God has called you to do. You saved an entire city, maybe even an, an entire nation. You're the hero here. But Jonah's ticked off. Jonah's not very happy about this. And here we kind of discover why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. And he also gives us some incredible insight into who God is, into the character of God. He had perfect theology about God, and yet he was mad about God delivering the Ninevites. The text continues. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. In other words, God, I knew you were going to do this, and I didn't want to go because I knew that you were going to save them, and I knew you were going to save them, and that's why I didn't want to go. Remember, I told you that's why I didn't want to go. I tried to show you that's why I didn't want to go. You see, I don't think that Jonah ran from the Ninevites because he was afraid of them. I think he was afraid that God would do what God does, and that God would be to them who God is. He was afraid that God was going to act like God, and he didn't want God to act like God to the Ninevites. He wanted God to be vengeful. He didn't want them to have that opportunity to turn. Now, for me, as I was thinking through this, I tried to put a little perspective on it, because we can read this story and go, yeah, yeah, that's nice, but what does that mean to us? And the real thing that I could come up with was a similar dynamic that's going on in our culture today. Imagine if the leaders of Al-Qaeda, the terrorist organization, held a press conference and said, you know what, we're sorry, we were wrong, and we'd like to go home now. Here's all of our weapons, here's the location of all of our training facilities, here's the, the, uh, the places we've targeted in the United States and around the world, and here's how we've figured out how to get through your security, so you might want to shore that up a little bit in case anybody else comes up, and, and we're really, really sorry, thank you very much, goodbye, we're going to go home now. Would we be just real anxious to say, oh, thanks, go home, have a great one. No, uh, there's people around the world in the United States, maybe even in this room that would go, wait a second here, that's not the way it works. You've got to pay for all this stuff that you've done. There's punishment to be handed out. We don't just want to do that. I think there's a little bit of that inside each and every one of us. I think that's how Jonah felt. Jonah has to be thinking, you know, I walk in here, and I say repent, and you repent. And God's just going to let them off the hook. And Jonah's mad because of that. That God's just going to let them go. And, and God is just going to just say, okay. Look at the end of verse 2. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and a God who relents from sin and calamity. In other words, Jonah's saying, I knew this is what you were going to do, God. I just knew it. I have to look at Jonah and go, Good grief, Jonah, you need some serious counseling here to be this worked up about God being God, right? You're mad at God for being merciful. Jonah says in, in verse 3, oh, Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah wants to die. You know why he wants to die? I think part of the reason is because Jonah knows he can't go home. Think about it. Jonah does this, and all's good now, and the Ninevites are saved, and he heads home, and when he gets home, his friends are going to say, Hey, where you been? Nineveh? Nineveh? You went to Nineveh and you made it out alive? What happened? Well, God wanted me to go tell him that he's going to destroy him. Yes! 
finally. I'm glad it happened. How did it happen? Well, I told them, and they repented, and God's going to give them more time. What? Why'd you tell them? Right? Isn't that what the other people are going to say? How could you do that? How could you go and give them that second chance? And I think Jonah's going, you know what? I think I'd rather die than go home because nobody's going to like me there. My life is over. Look at verse 4. Have you, and, and the key word here is the word you, have you any right to be angry? God's asking Jonah, have you any right to be angry? Come on, Jonah. I am, I'm God. I'm the God who you're right in saying that I'm compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. You are exactly right. And because I'm that kind of God, you're standing here today. Because I'm that kind of God, I had you swallowed by a fish and not killed. I had you delivered here so that you could still stand and you could have a second chance. I am the, the, those things that you've described about me. And you're angry because I am that way? So it's okay if I show that to you, but not to the Ninevites, right? Come on, Jonah. What are you thinking? Verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I think in the back of his mind, Jonah's going, maybe God's going to get him anyway, right? I'm going to go up and get a front row seat to see the wrath of God type stuff happen right here. Verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah and give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Now, to me, the story gets really strange right here. I just have to be real, real honest with you. It gets really strange. Jonah was very happy about the vine, all right? So he told God off and told him how mad he was about this. And so God provides a vine, and Jonah's very happy about this vine because it gave him a little bit of comfort. And he's feeling a little better about his life. After all, he's got this vine. Things are finally working out for him because there he's sitting and now he has this vine. He doesn't care about the people. He's hoping the destruction will come, but I've got this vine. Look at verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. So God provides a worm and a wind. Now in that part of the country, uh, this wind is called the Sirocco, and it's a dry wind that kicks up out of nowhere. It just, just happens, and the temperature will rise anywhere from 15 to 25 degrees in a matter of moments, and it's very dangerous to be outside. And when it happens, people know. You go inside or you die. So that's kind of, kind of what's happening here. So here comes one of those winds, and it says that he has no shelter. The text says... The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I See, I think God's trying to teach Jonah something here. He's trying to get him to see that a few verses ago in our story that he was mad at God for being compassionate. He was mad at God for showing mercy, for being loving and, and slow to anger. And now he's angry at God because the vine died. You see, Jonah's angry again. And he's more angry about the vine dying, about losing that vine, than he is about the people down in Nineveh. He goes on. Jonah says, I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. You ever thought that? Sidebar, you ever felt that? Just been so wound up? Jonah was. Verse 10. Here's the key. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people, people who cannot tell their right hand 
from their left. God is saying, Jonah, this great city down here, 120,000 people who are like children, who, who don't know me, they don't even know their right hand from their left hand, you don't have any excuse, Jonah. You knew better than to run from me. You had that relationship with me, and you ran from me anyway. And we're talking about my children down here, people whom I love. They don't know anything about me. Yes, their sin has offended me time and time again, but they probably most of the time didn't even know they were sinning. They're a bunch of, of children, and yet you have no concern for them. You have more concern about that vine than you did for the people. God says something else that I think is, to me, funny. He says, and many cattle as well. 120,000 people, and now God's talking about cattle. And, and I have to agree that uh, with Andy Stanley, whenever I listen to his message about this, and he said that he thinks God is taking a jab at Jonah. That Jonah is so concerned about nature. He's so concerned about that vine. Then, Jonah, are you concerned about the cattle? I mean, we're talking about nature here. You don't care about the people, but what about the cattle? Do you care anything about them? I think God's trying to make a point. Do you care at all? Should I not be concerned about that great city, God says? And I, I think this is what God's trying to say to Jonah, and this is where it hits a little close to home for me. He says, Jonah, you're really concerned about the wrong stuff. You're concerned that they are not going to get what you think they deserve and that you're not going to get what you think you deserve. That's what you're concerned about. You, you don't think that they're going to get judgment and you think they deserve ju judgment. And you don't think you're going to get comfort and you feel like you deserve comfort. I think God says to Jonah, Jonah, you know what I'm concerned about? God's concerned about people. He's concerned about the people. God's primary concern is that no one gets exactly what they deserve. That's why... I think God rescued Jonah from the belly of the fish because he didn't want him to get what he deserved. He deserved to die, but because God is a God of grace and, and a God of compassion, God saved him. And the reason that God sent Jonah to Nineveh was because he had great concern for those people that they didn't get what they deserved. Jonah, you're so concerned about the wrong things, you missed it. Jonah, you have concerns that are not my concerns. I think that's what God is saying. And suddenly that gets really personal for me because I, I got to tell you something. There's, there's a lot of that in me. I can get very concerned and even angry when I have clearly stated no pickles. And when I get my spicy chicken sandwich, it still has pickles on it. And I get more concerned about a sandwich that I'm going to consume and process and digest and be hungry again in four hours than I am for the person who's back there working as hard as they can to do the best they can. I don't think about them. I just think about my sandwich. I don't think about the fact that they're going to spend eternity somewhere. My point is, do you ever get really emotional about something to the neglect of someone? In a big picture way, I would venture to say that we're all concerned about people, right? I mean, we are. We're generally concerned about people. We're generally concerned about the world. And we would say, God, I want everyone to know you. I want everyone to be saved. I want everyone to, to have that relationship with you. But in that moment, in that day, in that event, whenever it's happening, suddenly what's most important to God is really overshadowed by what's most important in our urgent moment. And most of the things that, that we and I want to include you because it'll make me feel better about me, but most of the things that we get real concerned about are really short-term things. 
person driving too slow on the left-hand lane, or they cut you off, or they don't know how to navigate the jug handles. Come on, where are you from? Really? Maybe it was the person this week who, uh, who got the item on the Black Friday sale that you really wanted, or they got in line ahead of you. Maybe it was the person rambling on the other, other end of the phone or the email that just never gets to the point. You see, many of those things just really aren't a big deal. Think about the people that we overlook and, and the people we neglect, the people that we never spend any time trying to relate to because the reality is they're going to spend eternity somewhere. Think about the people that get neglected because of the stuff that pops up in our life that's, that's so fleeting. It's so temporary. It's, it's so nothing. And three or four hours later, we're not even going to remember what we were so upset about. Ladies, do you ever get more upset about your haircut than about your stylist? Guys, do you ever get more worked up about how your team is doing than remember that those are just guys as well? Do we remember that people are going to spend eternity somewhere? Do we ever get more frustrated or angry or concerned about the lines at the grocery store than we do about the cashier? Do we ever get more bent out of shape about the accident that's causing the backup that causes us to miss the beginning of modern family than we do about the people who are actually in the accident? I think there's a little bit of Jonah in each and every one of us. You know what may be a great measure of spiritual maturity? And you can run this little test on yourself. It's when what concerns God is most concerning to you. When God's primary concerns become my primary concerns, that's when I become a little more like my heavenly father. And God's message to Jonah was, Jonah, you're concerned about the wrong things. And I, and I just know that from time to time, I think God looks at my life and maybe he looks at your life and I think he says the same thing. So one of my questions back to you this morning is, what concerns you? And let me be specific. What is it the things that you're so concerned about that they get in the way of you expressing concern about the people who are going to spend eternity somewhere? Is it your reputation? And yes, you would say that you want everyone to discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, but whenever you're at the office or whenever you're at school or at the event, when it actually comes to, to sharing with that guy or that girl about God or offering to, to pray for them or to do something for them or with them, there's just something that rises up within us that shows a concern about ourselves more than the concern about the person who's going to be spending eternity somewhere. Is that what it is for you? Maybe it's your schedule. If you're a scheduled person, let me say, welcome my kindred spirits. Let's unite in our, no. You can ask my family. Schedule's a big deal for me. I, I am all about the schedule. And that's all well and good about having things scheduled until somebody messes up my schedule. Do you realize that people ask me for help? The audacity of some people to call the pastor and to say, hey, could you talk to me? What are they thinking, right? I've got a schedule. One of the many things I appreciate about my wife is she's constantly reminding me, <laughs> your schedule? Eh. The people, that's what's important. The people will not always be there. And I've got to be reminded that sometimes eternity may be hanging in the balance. What's most important? Sometimes we get so busy in our life that we forget about the people in our life. We don't have time for them, and we don't take the time to share with them 
how much God loves them. What is it for you? It could be a habit. It could be a hobby. It could be how good your yard looks or how good you look. It could be how impressive you sound in a conversation. It could be how much you do or it could be maintaining a certain income. What about the people that God has put in your life that you never get around to asking them the question of where they are in their relationship with God? What is it for you? What is it that causes you to not show that kind of concern for him or her? You see, the reality is I know that if I said, I would like for each one of you to pray for your unchurched friends, you would. You probably are. Some of you are are doing that. But when it comes to the moment, when it comes to that opportunity to share with them, what is it that rises up inside of you that is a temporary concern that keeps you from actually following through? And here's what I want to challenge you to do, and I try to illustrate it this way. How many of you had a Thanksgiving meal? Everyone, pretty much? What did you have? You know, we had the turkey and the dressing and the homemade rolls and the mashed potatoes and the corn and the desserts, you know, the pumpkin pie and the pecan pie and the fudge and the Chex Mix, and, right? You know, you probably have your thing too. Now, if your home is anything like our home, that's what we've had for the last three days. And it's pretty much gone, right? Now, think about all the time and all the effort and all the energy that was put into trying to make that meal special. And would you let the fact that it's probably already gone sink in for just a moment? And may it be a reminder that the things that we consume ourselves with are so temporary that in a week, we're not even going to remember what they were. There are people, people out there who are going to spend eternity somewhere, and we don't engage with them because of What? What's so important? As you go home or as you go out to eat lunch today, would your meal be a reminder to you that we need to see things differently? Would would your meal be like the concerns of your life? Would you look at that and say, you know what, is it valid? Yes. Is it necessary? Yes. Is it the most important thing? No. It is not the most important thing. And would you ask God to help you grow, to be concerned about what concerns him the most? You know what God's concerned about? He's concerned about a generation of people, a generation of teenagers, of single mothers, of senior adults, of young marrieds, of middle-aged marrieds. He's concerned about people. And his desire for me, his desire for you, his desire for this church is that our concerns will get in sync with his concerns and that we will grow into making people our concern. That's the sign of maturity, and that's where God is calling us to be. But for that to happen, we've got to get outside of ourself and those temporary concerns that so consume us to see people. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're not a religious person or, or something like that, one of the reasons may be is because you've met way too many Christians who in a very general way we have said, this is what I believe, but when it comes down to our specific behavior, there was always something more important than what was most important to God. And I just want you to know, if that's you, that that is not God's fault. Don't blame God for our inadequacies. That's our fault. We have done a poor job of misrepresenting who God truly is. 
He is not like that. God is, is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, and he's gracious and he's compassionate. He does not want to send calamity. And, I, and I'm sorry that we as professed believers that we have allowed our fleeting here today and gone tomorrow issues to, to not be for you and to you what you needed, what God designed for you to be. That's our fault, not God's. See, here's how I think God would say what he said to Jonah to us. I think he would say, I'm concerned about the people in your neighborhood. What are you concerned about? I'm concerned about your boss. What are you concerned about? I'm concerned about the people that you work for, or the people that work for you. What are you so concerned about? I'm concerned about those kids in your neighborhood. What are you so concerned about? I'm concerned about that person who feels all alone because they've never really connected with anyone, and, and you know they're unconnected, and yet there's something in your life that is so concerning that you never get around to connecting to them. What are you so concerned about? God is concerned about people in this world. What are we so concerned about? And I know it's not because you don't care. You do care. I know you do. It's just that we let the concerns of this life swamp us and we don't ever get outside it. We let the stuff take over and we miss the people. So, as we wrap up this morning, the challenge for you is to start praying right now that God would start changing your heart and that you would begin seeing the concerns of God as your primary concern. That you wouldn't let the concerns of this world, of this life, that are so temporary, cloud everything about you that you miss what God is trying to do in and through you. When God sends someone into your life and you cross paths with them, would you make them your primary concern? Because here's the deal. Those of you who are believers who have accepted this, I feel pretty confident in saying that you are where you are today because someone decided that being concerned about you was more important than being concerned about whatever else it was. And I would also venture to say that you're thankful for that fact. You're thankful that they were willing to show concern to you, to step outside of themselves and to make you important. And that's the challenge for each and every one of us here today as individuals, as a group, as a church, to make the things of God the most important things for us. That's what we need to do. The band's going to come forward and they're going to lead us in a song of invitation. Lead us to the cross. and It's, it's a great song to do that because, because God is trying to draw us back to himself. And maybe you're here today and for the first time you have realized that that God is so concerned about you that he sent his one and only son to the cross to die for you because he wants that relationship with you. He wants to experience that with you. He wants you to be in harmony with him. He is so concerned about you that he has done everything within his power so that you could come back to him. Maybe today you need to talk to someone about that. Maybe today your Thanksgiving was awful or maybe your Thanksgiving was great and you want to praise God or you want someone to pray with you. We'd love to have the opportunity to do that with you. Maybe today you just want to talk to someone about what's going on in your life. We would love, again, to have that opportunity to share with you and, and to pray with you and to encourage you and to make you our primary concern. If you want to talk to someone, then I invite you to make your way over to the cross. Stand with me. The band's going to lead us, and we'll meet you there.